Awesome. We are live. Welcome, everybody, to our Horizon Weekly Insider number 122. Today is Monday, January 31st of 2022. Thanks for joining us live here on Discord and YouTube. And please be aware that we are recording. You can check it out later in our Horizon podcast. Also, please remember to ask your questions on Menti for the team so we can answer the top three at the end of the session. Let's kick it off right away, as usual, with our updates from the engineering department. I'll welcome Alberto. Thank you, Angie. Okay, let's see what we have today. So let's start from the SDK side, uh, where uh, we continued uh, the reviewing process about the pull requests uh, for general improvements uh, and that, that are going to be included in the next version of the Blazed SDK. So a total of 10 pull requests were reviewed and approved in the last few days, and we were able to match them already. A few final pull requests are upcoming, but we're very near to the next release of, of Blaze. Okay, to proceed on the uh, secret side, we continued working uh, on the next one, that is the main chain block reference implementation, where we reached uh, uh, a good stage. We plan to finish the development in the next few days and then start with the testing phase. Meanwhile, we have also continued the first level of code review of the base transaction circuit, and we plan to accomplish this activity shortly. Uh, okay, proceeding uh, uh, on the proving system, uh, we have uh, other few updates there. And uh, uh, in particular, regarding the D-Log uh, accumulator, um, a first round of code review has been performed. Some improvements have been suggested, and, and they concerned uh, specifically a more efficient uh, treatment of the public input uh, from the point of view of the verifier a more efficient treatment of the trivial accumulators which arise during tree-like recursion, and the change in the interfaces of both the prover and the verifier, uh, which avoids duplication of some computations um, that are necessary during, or better, that are necessary <laughs> during the recursive proof creation. So the requested changes have been addressed already, and these will be now subject to another iteration of review. Uh, furthermore, uh, we performed a few design and implementation activities. Uh, the first one, uh, the design and implementation of Poseidon-based algebraic sponge used for the Fiat Shamir transformation uh, inside the, uh, our uh, proving system, uh, primitive and circuits. And the second one is the design and implementation of the Fiat Shamir Transform primitive and gadget itself. And uh, last but not least, we are uh, currently working on an optimization that allows us to improve the multiplication of elements in the in specific non-native fields that are fields uh, other than the one employed uh, to generate and verify the proofs. This will also allow to optimize the arithmetic circuits, cutting off, for example, the constraints for the C sidechain withdrawal circuit. So that's uh, uh, it for today. Back to you, Angie. Thank you so much, Alberto, for the updates. Let's continue with Lucy for the marketing section. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday and Happy Lunar New Year to our Asian community and everyone who celebrates it. 
Uh, so we wish you all a very happy, healthy, and uh, prosperous year of the tiger. Um, so this year we'll be um, we'll be really busy all around the world. I'll be speaking and presenting in many major uh, blockchain conferences. We'll be participating in the Paris Blockchain Week Summit uh, in April. That is the biggest blockchain uh, event in Europe. We will also be speaking and exhibiting at the Token 2049 Singapore in May. And that's one of the most popular uh, crypto events in Asia. And in June, of course, there is consensus, uh, the most influential blockchain event uh, and then we will be participating in that also so rob will be speaking at the event and we will also be uh hosting a dedicated session at the event uh so i'm really excited for horizon pre uh, horizon's presence at these major events and uh, uh having the opportunities to connect with our communities in different parts of the world uh we'll be sharing discount code for admission to some of these events uh we will also run community contacts to uh, um, give out some admission tickets for free. So make sure that you follow us on social media. Uh, there are a few of, uh, these are just a few of, uh, of the events we are sponsoring this year. Uh, we will be uh, participating in some other events, also including NFT events, you know, as more and more uh, projects are joining the Horizon ecosystem. Uh, we also uh, are getting more, uh, more and more opportunities to be part of many of the fun events through co-hostings and guest speaking. So really excited uh, to participate in all of them. And also re uh, recently, we did a uh, community poll on both Twitter and Discord. Uh, so on the topic uh, where we should host our uh, weekly insider. So a majority of our community voted for doing it on Twitter uh, through Twitter space. So uh, we are considering moving the weekly insider to Twitter space. Uh, the biggest uh, the biggest benefit of this change will be um, We'll be allowing more people to participate in our uh, in our insider uh, in real time. So you know, it's it's really always our goal to make uh, our project updates more accessible for the community uh, and be able to connect with more people. So we'll work on that. You know, uh, on that process uh, and uh, um, add more value to it, and also be able to you know, we we'll work with uh, with Michael and everyone on the team. Uh, for you know to to migrate to migrate that uh, our weekly insider. So once we have the details, uh, we will share with uh, with the team and also with the community. And that's it from me. Back to you, Angie. Great, thank you, Lucy. Let's continue with Rosario for the product and engineering updates. Good morning, good afternoon to the Zen community. So we're making great progress with the tokenization platform MVP. We're targeting uh, the MVP release at the end of Q1. And uh, I mentioned this before, but the tokenization platform has three major components. Uh, that's a web wallet, an explorer, and the sidechain in itself. And this will showcase Horizon's platform abilities. So uh, we're really excited about that. And along with, with with doing that effort, we're also refining the sidechain productization. So, for example, providing a dashboard for sidechain node management. And that's something that our DevOps team, along with our product management, will be working with that. But I'd like Victor to provide more details uh, specifically on the tokenization. Go ahead, Victor. 
Hi. Thanks, Rosario. Uh, we just finished uh, quite the most of the MVP for the uh, tokenization platform uh, for, uh, from the sidechain perspective. We are starting already uh, making uh, the unit test of all the pieces and uh, we are just closing with the development of the burn transactions that will be available for all the tokens. Uh, the uh, major uh, um, improvements uh, we've made uh, in the sprint because we are uh, working in Agile um, is the additional unlimited supply cap and uncap ability and uh, the indexing uh, that we are doing uh, inside the node so that uh, it will be uh, even easier the adoption. Um, the boxes that are the um, let's say the envelope uh, for uh, all the tokens uh, uh, is already defined and uh, complete uh, and so we are uh, passing all the information to the tools guys that are uh, developing also uh, wallet and explorer uh, uh, with the same specification documents. Uh, the side libraries uh, are almost uh, all update, updated and uh, we plan to start heavily testing uh, internally uh, during the sprint that uh, is starting today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for those details, Victor. It's uh, great to hear. Also like to highlight that we are working very closely with, with Alberto and uh, the engineering teams in terms of uh, the security of, of, of the side chain at the MVP level and beyond that. So just a lot of uh, cross collaboration amongst the groups. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rosario and Victor, for those updates. Now let's welcome Rob for the leadership updates and the Q&A session. Thank you, Angie. And uh, cool gif here uh, from Seinfeld. I've recently been watching some old episodes. Um, brings back some good memories. Um, OK, so guys, let me say, last week, I really enjoyed the opportunity to spend time with the, the team in New York. Uh, that was great. It was a great week. Um, and so important just to share vision, stories of our history, strategy, et cetera, even just to get to know people at a personal level, really important. And I have to say, I'm super impressed with the team that has been built in just the last six months. It's pretty amazing. Um, so we're going to be truly as an org, as an ecosystem, I definitely expect we will be accelerating things quite a bit. And on that note, now that we're on track with the 2022 roadmap, I mean, now that we have a 22 roadmap actually published for you guys, even though we've been working on it internally, we've had it for a while, but the big items are already kicked off and on track. In fact, I would say that um, they look to be ahead of schedule. Now, I, I don't want to um, you know, eat my words one day on that, but things are going really well um, from in, in particular on two things. One, the tokenization platform. And also the EVM preliminary work is really just uh, beating my expectations. And I'm really happy with the teams that are working on those projects. Um, these are absolutely important ecosystem items. But now that they're on track, I can focus some of my attention and rotate to some of the other important ecosystem things. And here, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Dean and uh, a, a new lawyer who's been working really in the background. Um, Scott on um, really just leading the way with HCC, the Horizon Community Council. So we finally got to a point where we're launching legal entity uh, in the, the very short term. And I think it'd be great to actually get Scott on here either next week or the week after to go through some of the details and you guys can get to know him. 
Um, very impressive guy and the work they've been doing is great because now we can actually launch this legal entity. The initial set of council members that is going to be small and is really being uh, based on those who have massively contributed to the ecosystem thus far. So you will certainly recognize some OGs that I think will be completely uncontroversial to be on there because you guys, you've been following this project for a while. You all know and love these people anyway. They've been around and they've been just ridiculously helpful over the years. The goal is to be truly representative of the community, which means it, it needs to have a natural diversity. Um, now, this initial set, their job is really going to be to just launch HCC, really to get it up and operating and quickly, like within a matter of months, open it up to the broader community um, with you know, the, the initial set of you know, rules, processes, procedures, just basically how the community council will operate, how it will integrate with the rest of the ecosystem how it will you know work with respect to the other entities in this ecosystem like the the foundation as an example all of these things will be hashed out at least in the mvp form uh, right away um, so this is the really the goal of this initial group of council members now uh, when i say being truly representative of the community what this means longer term is is being flexible enough to evolve with the community because i i can say just from personal experience the community we have today is quite a bit different than the community we have when we launched in May of 2017, right? And the community we'll have a year from now, especially when we get token tokens in the ecosystem, NFTs, when we get you know community NFT community growing in Horizon, when we get our EVM and all these DAP devs and DAP users into our ecosystem, it will be a significantly different ecosystem than we have today in terms of community composition. And HCC and all of the other organizations, entities, and structures in the ecosystem have to be able to evolve with this natural evolution of, of the ecosystem, right? Like if we just have a static snapshot in time of some cross-section of the community or certain stakeholders, and that doesn't change as the community is changing, we've failed, right? So this is why it's taken us some time to really get to the point where we are, but I'm happy with where we are and we're gonna, now we're, now we're you know, of the mindset that it's much better to launch something and really to you know focus hard on just the initial work of this group so that it gets going. And we'll learn as we go and, and we'll really just get the community to participate and just take it over and lead this thing directly. Um, so let's see. Um, also, on a, a separate but related note, uh, Dean has been working with um, our law firm or one of the law firms that's been helping significantly in the Horizon ecosystem. Fenwick and West, a very prestigious law firm out in California, to really just update uh, any ecosystem governance items, really to do a governance analysis of the Horizon ecosystem um, and give a recommendation based on their best practices. So these guys, Horizon Labs, as as a as an example, is working with on one of our big um, you know customers and token launches this, this ongoing. We've been really impressed that the state of the art of how to uh, manage distributed ecosystems has evolved over the years, especially as there have been hundreds or thousands of token launches, at least hundreds of token launches that have actually taken the effort to invest in legal infrastructure so that they're compliant within the, the jurisdictions in which they operate. We've learned a lot working with these guys and we realized uh, we probably need to at least you know have a refresh of how we do things and make sure that as we roll out things like HCC, as we you know uh, get our DAO in place, we're doing it right. And we're doing it in a way that we know is going to actually scale and you know and do the best for really the stakeholders, the community members. Um, so that's a separate ongoing legal analysis. We had our first kickoff call 
last week and things are moving. Uh, it's important to think about these things, even though, you know, this isn't always front and center and, you know, when you're on like CoinDesk or other crypto news sites, but really governance matters. Um, and as we pair good governance with technology, like when we start getting into DAO tech and really building out our DAO, it's really important to have considered these things in advance and think about the human components and really just kind of the, the economics, the game theory, and how these things can be set up so we have good mechanisms so that when we roll out the technology, it pairs with the good mechanisms and, and structures. Now, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, talked to the Horizon Labs team in the past and, and yeah, I, I pose jokingly or lovingly the question of why is Horizon Labs, you know, that builds in Horizon building out a pretty badass uh, Solidity dev team. Uh, the reason is because, well, one, we're working with customers outside of Horizon, and that's a massive learning experience for us that we're translating directly into the success of Horizon. But two, because we will soon have our own Ethereum virtual machine and that will be integrated with the sidechain, and we will have Solidity smart contracts in Horizon, right? So it makes sense to you know, build this team out in advance and get them thinking, especially as soon as the EVM goes to testnet, we're going to want to start work on some of the major infrastructure items for DeFi. Like this is the thing that we talked about at the tail end of last year and one of our big goals for this year. So we're going to be getting a head start on you know things like building our, our own AMM, automated market maker or decentralized exchange, things like that that are absolutely critical. Um, but it also affords us the ability to understand the state of the art in the DAO world. And also our product team has been doing a ton of research, uh, working with other partners on other projects on just the current state of the art. Like where, where is the DAO tech industry today? Who's using what technology? What technology is available? Who's using it? How is it? How is it actually working in the real world? What projects are employing which types of DAOs and how are they operating? Are they successful? Do they have deficiencies? We're doing this research now, um, which shows you that we're quite serious about opening this up um, this year. So, on that note, going beyond you know the the governance stuff, like and governance is an important element here, but we do need to always think what will make us a successful ecosystem and not just what will make us a successful ecosystem, but what will make us fail as an ecosystem and failure is relative, right? Like we, we could fail and just never grow and just always be a relatively small player in this bigger world because our software is open source. It's out there. It's running on a massively distributed network. There's no reason this project ever needs to die. It will always be able to exist because people will always be able to run the software and participate, but there are different levels of success here. And you know, I'm not just talking about market cap, like coin market cap. I'm talking about just our relevance to the world. And so we know if we want to be relevant and we want to be successful, a few things have to happen this year. This is what we're doing: tokenization, NFTs, EVM. It just catches up. It catches us up in a broad sense. You've heard me say that many times. Um, but importantly, what it gets us is opens the ecosystem in a big way for the first time. So it opens up the ecosystem so that this team that you hear from every week isn't the only team, the only group of people working to build out the ecosystem. It means that many, many third parties and developers will be able to deploy smart contracts that have already been tried. They already work in other ecosystems like Ethereum or any other EVM compatible ecosystem. And that's why the EVM compatible ecosystems have exploded over the last couple of years because of this just ability to reuse and people don't need to retool, they don't need to learn a new technology stack. They don't need to, you know, deploy a blockchain themselves. They they can just go in there and work on a blockchain that's out there and, and running in a decentralized framework, and use use a framework, use you know a code set or you know coding coding talent that is just very you know call it commoditized already in this in this industry. 
And that's where we're going. And this just catches us up in a way. Um, but if we fail to keep pace with innovation, you know, broader innovation in the industry, we can also fail. So yes, we will be able to do tokens this year. We'll be able to do NFTs. We'll be able to do smart contracts. We'll have you know compatible smart contract and platform. We're not building our own unique virtual machine. It requires you know the whole world of developers to learn our unique tech. We're being compatible as a kind of a, a primitive here. But we can fail if we if we also don't keep pace with innovation. If we're always behind the game. You know, it, it just means we're always trying to play catch up and we're not able to deploy our unique talents or, you know, skill sets that we have as, as an ecosystem. Um, so basically, this means we need to roll up products at a pace that is, you know, at least equal to, if not faster than the pace of innovation in the industry. This is a big task because the industry is huge, it's open, and it's very well capitalized. And there are lots of people doing a lot of really interesting things. So it's our, our job to keep a pulse of what's going on out there and make sure that that pulse is relevant and we're able to actually deliver and deliver rapidly and continue to accelerate the pace at which we can deliver. So we, we can always do a better job and we're improving pretty rapidly, but like it's not a done deal. We're going to be improving constantly. Uh, so a couple of big things I think are relevant for us to get success and we can't forget these things. This year we focus a lot on just catching up with tokens. Okay, well, big deal. A lot of you know, tokenization has been around since 2016, at least heavily. Uh, smart contracts with an EBM, nothing new there. Um, if we're going to really succeed, we need to put our deep tech and especially our zero knowledge proof talent and initiatives into the really the spotlight. And these are things that we're continuing to work heavily on and we're going to continue investing in and beefing out the teams that are working on these things. This is why Lattice is so important, why R&D on questions like, I mean, you know, questions like whether we go with Plunky 2 versus Darlin, you know, even the ability to build our own proving system is absolutely huge, right? And it starts with one, and then we continue to expand that team. Uh, but deploying these talents in meaningful ways, you know, through, throughout the industry is where it gets, it gets interesting because just building the talents themselves and just working on things that aren't necessarily relevant isn't going to keep us ahead of that, that innovation curve. Right? But I think that if we, we can turn these talents to things like privacy and NFTs, privacy and DeFi, uh, privacy and key blockchain products like ZK Audit that we, we've introduced to you guys last year uh, and finished the POC on um, at, at the end of last year. Uh, so there's a lot that we need to focus on that goes way beyond just integrating an EVM into our ecosystem. But point number two, our, our major competitive advantage you know, is you know, beyond just this you know, uh, innovative, unique technology team or teams that we're building, Zendu itself. And I, I keep harping on this because Zendu, you know, we delivered the backend code in December and then it, you, people can forget about how important this thing is because yeah, we're, it's taking us now the next several months to get a token tokens launched on Zendu. But uh, what it gives us is what we think is a superior architecture that can scale way better. And again, we think it's up to us to actually prove this. We can't just talk about it, we need to actually get some of these key infrastructure and sidechain items out there so that we can prove it. The first one, obviously tokens. We have to issue tokens, we're gonna to get NFTs out there, we're gonna integrate an EVM, but that's only an example of the power of Zendu. The fact that we don't have to stop with a single EVM, we can have multiple EVMs operating in parallel, multiple sidechains that have EVMs. We also don't need to stop with the idea of an EVM. We can integrate other virtual machines like Cardano's as an example, or maybe an eWASM where Ethereum seems to want to go. Um, and you know, if we can offer many, many other options that, um, that goes towards how we maximally leverage the power of Zendu. 
So really, it's about being at the heart of the crypto industry. So keeping the strategic framework in mind. It's not about the specific tech itself. The tech is an enabler. We have to always point it in a, in a direction that matters. So we have to be responsive to the rest of the industry, understand where that industry is going and point our tech in the direction to actually make it meaningful. We do not want to be building our own walled garden. We are not here to you know, prove to the world that we're the smartest guys in the world. Not at all. What we want to do is to be clever and in integrating effectively and being compatible with the rest of the industry. So being compatible with every other major innovation out there is our goal and being integrate and integrating them all onto horizon when and where it makes sense to add additional value on the margin. Uh, whereas now, this is why I make that claim that Zendu is, is a, a dominant architecture, even though it's crazy because we haven't done anything with Zendu yet. We're going to. It's going to be a trickle, then it's going to be a flood of what we do with Zendu. But other projects, when they need to think through strategic framework, they think on single paths. So for an example, they would say, do we have an EVM or an EWASM? Which one do we want to do? Because we can do one, right? Do we want to do um, you know, this sidechain thing or do we want to shard, right? Do we want to have a, you know, a DAG, a directed acyclic graph? Like what, what technology path do we want to go down? Really, it's, it's like we have a cloud of real options and other projects need to choose a single path. They need to collapse the real option cloud to a single path, whereas we can do multiple. Now, we don't have to do them all. We could, right? The, the, the architecture affords it, but really we can be judicious because our, our resources are limited and we can, pick, we can pick and choose many options simultaneously, whereas others can only choose one. That's where it gets interesting. And you're not gonna even, this is in, in a way, as of right now, an intellectual fact, but we still need to prove it. We need to show people um, this advantage over time. And we're only gonna get there by actually deploying and making sure that our deployment capabilities as a product, as an engineering, as a technology team is really efficient and just getting out there and being aggressive as well. Uh, it also means uh, keeping the main, making sure that the main chain has, specific and has a simple and specific function. Really, it's a truth engine, guys. Uh, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've been having conversations with different community members who talk about one thing or another as being really important to, to keep on the main chain. Now, like you need to think about the main chain as a simple truth engine. And in that sense, it should be as efficient, lightweight as possible and secure as possible. You know, that, that's it. Simple, lightweight and secure. That is a successful, maximally efficient main chain that I, I truly believe we need. All of the, the other application stuff, even the privacy, should really belong in different side chains. Different side chains that serve different functions, different applications. That, that don't have to be on the main chain, whether it's just adding technical debt or other, other risk to the main chain, it's unnecessary. Anyway, so just to wrap this up, guys, our mentality has to be flexible, open, constantly learning from the rest of the, from the, rest of the industry. And I can say we've been focused so hard for so long in our own world in getting Zendu to market, but this is a significant shift because now, and like I said, it's gonna start as a trickle with tokenization and then it's gonna be a flood by the time EVM chain goes live. Uh, but our goal is to connect with the rest of the industry. And this is the year we're doing it, right? So this isn't supposed to be like a, a big hurrah speech for you guys, but it's important that you guys understand if you're following the Weekly Insiders and you're following this project, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. You're on board with the strategy and you, and you understand what our competitive advantages are. Our competitive advantages are not our, our state of technology from four years ago. Our competitive advantages reside in Zendu and it resides in the unique technology talents that were already built into this organization. In particular, we're getting really good at ZKPs, and I think this is the year where we really start getting that out there at scale. And you're gonna see a lot of these products 
coming to the forefront. In particular, they're being worked now, but we're going to be talking about them a lot more after we get the basics in place and deployed successfully. I'll stop there. I know this was a long one, guys, but I think for you all to understand strategy and where we're going is really important. So I'll stop here and we can open it up, uh, Angie, to any Q&A. Thank you so much for the updates. And we do have a bunch of very good questions. The first one got over 40 votes. Uh, so let's see. It says, what is needed to build our projects on our horizon now? How easy is it? not easy as of right now so i mean that that's the problem and that's why we're you know we're choosing the particular path we are so zendu is powerful it really opens up a massive optionality for us as uh, an ecosystem um, but it's not super easy that's just the reality of it and we we released a, a preliminary sdk when zendu went live and we're going to be releasing additional sdks um starting with blaze and then going through ultimately lattice um, it, they're, they're not easy to deploy. Each of them means that you're deploying a blockchain and then you're, you're having to figure out and configure those blockchains for application logic. Now, all doable, um, but again, it's still early days in terms of the tech from a user perspective. And here I'm talking about dev users. Even for dev users, it's not simple. And this is why we decided to yeah, continue work in that direction. We know we need a lot more documentation. We need, we need a lot more tutorials. We need to beef up our dev relations team. All of these things are, are true and continuing to, to uh, proceed, but this is why we chose to go an EVM route. You know, just quite frankly, uh, Ethereum is super easy to use. It has massive adoption, uh, and other projects, as an example, Polygon. I just read uh, over the weekend that they have over seven thousand DApps running in Polygon. It's because they deployed. They have Ethereum Ethereum compatibility, and you use an EVM. It's super simple. The world is doing, it, and this is why we chose to go this route. Because if we want to have that kind of explosive growth, it's not getting one user at a time deploying a blockchain with our SDK, it's getting thousands of smart contracts deployed over very short compressed periods of time um, you know, by other third parties. Now that said, the big power of this stuff and where we really are going to shine is in Zendu. And even though as of today, it's not super easy to deploy your application with, with a sidechain, it will be in short order, super easy to deploy applications just like it is on Ethereum with our EVM chain. Um, and then we'll have the really powerful stuff, like that powerful blockchain infrastructure and unique things that we can configure that just don't necessarily work well with EVMs, we're going to be able to do with uh, you know the, the other SDKs that we're deploying. So actually, even though we talk a lot about EVMs, I'm probably most excited about Lattice coming down the pipeline. Awesome. Second question is, can you share any updates about tokenomics for SENI or utility? Uh, no, I can't. I'm sorry. Uh, so actually, I was asked this question over the weekend. I was, I was responding. I had a great uh, chat conversation going on with Ken, uh, who's really just doing an amazing job with the Korean community, uh, Korean and Chinese communities. Um, so no, uh, we, we don't have the tokenomics done yet, but actually what we're going to do, and this is, so what I love about the Zenny token launch is, that, number one, this is our first token. Awesome, right? So now this demonstrates the capability and actually with a, an actual product, but two, it makes it, it forces us to go through all of the hoops and doing like a, a legitimate token launch. And by legitimate, I'm, I'm putting in quotes here, air quotes, guys. But the foundation is going to be launching Zenny, you know, on behalf of the community, I think. I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how Fenwick wants to structure it. But we're going to do it in actually a regulatory compliant way, even though there will be no token sale. There's nothing like that. This isn't uh, supposed to be a big fundraising event, so we shouldn't have any SEC issues as an example i'm not a lawyer but 
the point is now we're thinking through the infrastructure, like the legal infrastructure of how we're going to do token launches, uh, at least those that are kind of compliant and we're not going to, you know, place undue burden on the community, like community members. So if you're a community member in the U.S. and you receive a ton of Zenny, what does that mean for you from like a tax perspective, a reporting, all of these different things we're considering now, all of this will be bundled into this. Like we're getting really good at token launches, guys, like Horizon Labs and, and the foundation. We're doing token launches with other you know, sub substantial clients really because we want to learn by doing and we've learned a ton. We're going to apply all of this to Zenny as a starter, which will mean we're going to have, even if it's a light paper, we're going to get some documentation out there for you guys about what is Zenny. Our goal is for this to be the you know the first meme coin in our ecosystem. Um, like who doesn't know and loves Zenny in our, in our ecosystem, but we're going to go through all the, all of the hoops on it. Everything from how we think and design tokenomics, how we do the distribution, how we handle the regulatory legal compliance, how we do the marketing, the technology, all of these things are coming together in a joint force approach so that it's not just getting in that, yeah, sure, we could use the API for the, the side chain and just launch a token like anyone will be able to do as soon as it goes live. But we're going to do this right because we want Zenny to be an enduring, actually meaningful project. And when airdrop, so guys, we're, we're going to actually try to do the airdrop with the, the tokenization platform launch. I was actually a little surprised that the team wanted to be aggressive, like that aggressive on it, but uh, it's looking like that's uh, doable. Great. The third question is a bit long, but let's see. Uh, it says, it seems like the U.S. government is getting more aggressive on regulation with some potential for overreach. What is the forward strategy to mitigate re regulatory risk and or capitalize on it? I love that question, actually. Um, and okay, and I promise I didn't write the question myself, but uh, I'll tell you, this is it's so relevant because everything I talked about today actually matters on the regulatory front as well. So continuing to decentralize our ecosystem, right? So we reduce just from like a, a practical perspective, our regulatory risk in the sense that our our ecosystem can be more enduring as we decentralize it and we get other entities that are, you know, multinational or, or entities that span the globe in different different jurisdictions. I think we want jurisdictional diversification. Uh, we want diversification. Like we, you know, as an example, I, I'm really pumped to explore the idea of now separating the treasury pool from the, the management of the foundation and putting it into a separate entity that is actually on the path to DAO. Because ultimately we want, you know, Dow eyes, that treasury pool. And I think setting up the legal infrastructure to do it and legally separating the treasury from the foundation is the first step and there's no, no reason to wait. So actually where this is one of the topics that we talked to Fenwick about, that's another big regulatory risk reduction. Now, there's a reason why I took um, you know, a minute to talk about um, how I view the main chain. And when I said the main chain should be simple, efficient, performant, and, and low risk, or at least highest security possible. I took that minute to talk about it, in particular with respect to um, you know, the shielded pool and how we do coin privacy, because this is a major burden for us as an ecosystem. Vano just gave um, some of us a, an awesome presentation before this call started on our ecosystem expansion plans this year. And we're talking exchange listings, integrations into you know, uh, payment, payment uh, and custodian providers, wallets, and, and these other things that are really important to making Zen more relevant. And the biggest hurdle that we have, the biggest roadblock, roadblock number one, is the fact that we're considered a privacy coin. Now, nothing that we're talking about with respect to EVM, smart contracting, tokenization, all of these things that are possible here in our ecosystem, None of them are relevant to having a shielded pool on the main chain. 
In fact, the shielded pool provides a technical debt on the main chain. It makes the database for running a node, a full node, explode unnecessarily. It poses a massive regulatory risk and a massive barrier to our business adoption, getting people all over the world who just will not list us. We're barred from the Korean market, from any exchange in the Korean market, because we have the shielded pool on the main chain. There's no reason to have it there. Now that we have Zendu in place, now that we have a, a technical team that's actually smart enough on ZKPs and building those circuits, there's no reason why this shouldn't go onto a side chain. It would be much more secure, so we never have an inflation bug risk on the main chain. It'll be better from a regulatory compliance perspective. It'll be much better from a business perspective, better from a technology and adoption perspective, because now you don't need to, you know, if, if we do, if we modernize the main chain, we should make it succinct and we should remove the shielded pool so that it has a very light database footprint and you could have your main chain full node running on like a mobile device. That's the dream. So there's a lot here, a lot of moving pieces for how we reduce our regulatory risk all around. Uh, we're working on it from a jurisdictional perspective, from like the, the you know, uh, the governance perspective, from the separating the money from the foundation perspective, getting a DAO in place for direct democracy, from thinking about the, you know, main chain uh, modernization. All of these things flow together. And I want to make sure that we have all of this stuff squared away this year. Now, I'm not saying uh, we'll, we'll get all these side chains in place that, that I was just talking about, but at least having a plan and making sure that all of these things are on track so that we can execute in a meaningful, meaningful time frame. So great question. Thank you. Okay, so the next one is a little bit of a joke question. Uh, it says, did Rob improve his fitness metrics in 2022, even though there's only been a month? Of, uh, Q is Angie not no longer with us? Hello. Uh, Can hi. you hear me? Uh, okay. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, the third. Uh, uh, the thir uh, the next one. Of a joke question. It says, "Did Rob improve his fitness metrics in 2022?" I'll tell you my, uh, so I haven't defined very nice KPIs, but I'm, I'm much, uh, much more consistent with everything this year. And guys, it's all about pull-ups. Um, so that, that's my, my thing these days. And I'm sorry to disappoint those who wanted my, my bench and my squat and my deadlift to go up. That's probably, uh, you know, it's okay, but um, nothing to brag about for sure. It's, it's only been a month, so I think, uh, you know, it, there's still plenty of time. Uh, Let's see, let's take a the last one. Um, just says, how easy it is to work mostly remotely. Lots of organizations struggle with this during COVID times. What about Horizon? I'll tell you my perspective is uh, remote work isn't for everyone, but at the same time, it can be massively empowering. And for us as an org, it's been really empowering. Like we talk about being a decentralized ecosystem while being having organizations within that ecosystem that allow for you know, people to work from anywhere in the world is also really important. That said, we, I think we've benefited tremendously. I, I can't even quantify it by standing up first our Milan office and then recently the New York office and actually getting people that can work face-to-face -to -face together has been a game changer. Now, even during COVID, and yeah, sure, we, we had to implement some measures during the height of COVID, but getting these teams in place to work in person has been critical while also allowing people to work remotely on the margins around that has just been a power power combo. So I'm a huge fan of the hybrid approach. I don't come in ideologically on either side. Really, it's just more of a, 
you know, we found a really good mix for ourselves. But, you know, just to, to be blunt, it doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone is, you know, uh, very particularly well suited to working in their own in a remote environment. Some people just work a lot better when they show up to an office every day and can and, you know, work with other other human beings directly. Uh, some people actually work better remotely, right? So it's a mixed bag. And I think from like an organizational management perspective, it's important to set up your structure so that you give people the option and management can, you know, be flexible enough to point people in the right direction when their particular choices aren't necessarily the best for the org, right? So I think we have a good combo there. We have good oversight, um, a good accountability. Accountability is key when people are remote, but we also have the option to work in person. I think that's been very powerful. Yeah, and Lucy likes to work so, from the moon. Okay. Great point. <laughs> awesome. I think this was a great weekly insider, uh, very much needed and a super great uh, update. So that's it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here. Keep you posted on the next updates and have an excellent week. Bye.